What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hi, I'm David Rothkopf, the CEO of the DSR Network and host of the Deep State Radio podcast. Here at DSR, we have always believed that in a world as complex, fast-moving, and full of risks as ours, we all need access to the best minds. That is why we have created the leading network for expert podcasts on the issues of the day you care about. We go in-depth on politics, the law, national security, foreign policy, intelligence, defense, climate, and new technologies with regular and special guests that are the leading voices in their fields. We also offer daily updates on global news, our DSR Daily, and on a key story of the day through our partnership with the New Republic. That is why, over a million times a month, people like you choose to spend time with our hosts and guests. Membership is what supports this, and members get special benefits, including bonus content in virtually all of our podcasts. It's a big deal, and it's a good deal. Our monthly membership price is going to go up for the first time in our history on March 1st. So now is the time you can lock in our founder's rate of just $5 a month. To do so, go to the DSRnetwork.com and click on membership. It's that easy, but don't delay. Today's rates will only be available for a few more weeks. Join us. Support us. Go to the DSRnetwork.com right now. Thank you. This is the Daily Blast from the New Republic, produced and presented by the DSR Network. I'm your host, Greg Sargent. It's the question that won't die, at least among D.C. elites. Should President Biden step aside so another Democrat can run in his place? Ever since special counsel Robert Hur's report contained asides about Biden's age and memory, triggering an over-the-top media explosion, Democrats have been engaged in a remarkably public bout of hand-wringing that shows no signs of letting up. One Democrat who has insistently sounded the alarm is David Axelrod, the veteran strategist and key mastermind of Barack Obama's 2008 and 2012 victories. So we invited him on the show to test out what this theorizing is made of, whether this alternative constitutes a genuine option or not, given all the immense logistical problems that would attend it. Welcome, David. Good to see you, Greg. So let's start here. I think a lot of press accounts misstate what really has Democrats worried. It isn't just Biden's age. It's the perception that he may not have the fight in him to beat Trump a second time. That's related to Biden's age, but it's a somewhat different thing. It isn't about garbled sentences. It's about the fight. You've alluded to this, saying that among Dems, there's a, quote, widespread fear that he's not up to it. Well, look, um, in a sense, I think this conversation is uh, academic because, uh, you know, I raised these issues back in the fall uh, when I think it was, a, you know, it was late, but it was a more realistic time frame for him to consider his, his options. Uh, and I said then uh, three things. I said, one, that uh, 
if you gave me Joe Biden's record and shaved 10 years off him, I would have no concerns about this election. Uh, whatever the polling said at that juncture, uh, the second uh, was that uh, this is an issue. And it's not an issue that I'm raising. It's an issue that's just screaming through all the polling and focus groups. And it's a concern. And it should be uh, at least uh, dignified as a legitimate concern. You shouldn't send uh, you know, your agents out there to talk about bedwetting uh, when, in fact, there's a real issue that is of concern to people. And then the third thing I said was, if, if Joe Biden wants to be the nominee, he will be the nominee. It's enti- it was entirely up to him. It seems to me that he's made that decision. I read Ezra, er- Ezra Klein's piece with interest, and he raised some very valid points. But um, I also know Joe Biden, and uh, I know that he is someone who believes that you know he's always been underestimated. Uh, that he's being underestimated now. And pretty clearly, he's determined to run. So all of this is sort of an academic discussion. Now, if something happens along the way that would make it impossible for him to continue, we'd have a different discussion. But um, I don't, you know, I don't see him waking up one morning here and saying, you know, I I think I'm just going to step away. You know him very well, obviously. So I wanted to ask you this. Biden recently said that he thinks another Democrat can beat Trump, but I suspect that might not be true. I don't know this from the inside, but I'm pretty persuaded that Biden thinks he's the only one who can beat Trump. That was his rationale in 2020, and I think it might be his rationale now. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, look, knowing Joe Biden, I think he always thinks he's the best candidate. Uh, You know, when I met with him in 2020, uh, I'm sorry, in 2020, uh, eight to talk about the vice presidential uh, decision because uh, uh, David Pluff and I toured the finalists uh, before uh, Senator Obama made the decision. Um, you know, he said, uh, "Look, I, I thought I was the best candidate. Thought I'd be the best president. I still think that, but uh, but." Uh, the people of Iowa thought differently. So, I mean, he's a, you know, he's a guy who has always had a chip on his shoulder. And frankly, uh, a lot of people, including me, raised questions in 2020. He went forward. And in retrospect, he may have been the only person who could have beaten Donald Trump in that election. So, you know, that's, he carries that with him. And so if he says, uh, uh, I agree with you that he, I think part of what motivates him, what, what, what actually motivates him may be one thing, but what he uh, persuades himself is that he knows how to beat this guy and he can beat him again and he's not sure about others. And frankly, by waiting, if he were for some reason to step away, uh, he would have deprived the party of the system by which we pressure test potential candidates to find out who should be the nominee and who has the best opportunity to win. That's, that's what the year before the election is all about. And you can, if you don't think that's an effective system, just uh, consider Chris, uh, not Chris, uh, uh, consider Ron DeSantis, who, uh, you know, had great ballyhoo in the fall of 2022. And, um, you know, and now he's gone uh, because the system tested him. Uh, we, you know, Democrats would be flying blind 
uh, without that. Not to say that they that if the party had to come up with a nominee, that they wouldn't come up with a strong nominee. But it's a harder it's a harder situation when you haven't seen people actually out there on the on the battlefield. Yeah, you raise a really important point, David, about DeSantis, and, and that leads me to this question. A lot of these analyses seem to take it as given that even if an alternate candidate could be picked under these circumstances with minimal damage, that this candidate would automatically be stronger against Trump than Biden. But we don't know that, do we? I mean, you know better than most people that no one can predict how a candidate fares under the glare of a national presidential campaign. I personally think Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer probably would be a safer bet, but I wouldn't say this with great confidence. Shouldn't this be part of the discussion? Yeah, I mean, the point is... um, most of the most of the party is not having this discussion anymore. I think that uh, you know it flares up when things like the her report come out. It'll flare up perhaps again if there are you know uh, incidents uh, in which the president uh, you know the problem is there's a there is a, a dynamic now where uh, anything that feeds the narrative gets more attention. So you know there may be moments like this, but I don't know that people are seriously thinking that he is going to withdraw and that there'll be another candidate. In terms of, you're right, it's it's hypothetical as to how candidates would do. I think it's a myth that there aren't strong potential candidates in the Democratic Party, however, which is something that was earlier was, you know, the White House and uh, folks around there were uh, saying, well, gee, if he doesn't do it, who could? Uh, that was not true. And I think a campaign would have produced a strong candidate. And there is an argument that um, a candidate who didn't bring uh, some of the some of the liabilities that Biden is fairly or not right now uh, might have a better chance just because uh, Trump is such a flawed candidate. I mean, it, you know, it is a um, it has become a, a battle of risk assessment uh, between two candidates who have liabilities. Now, I think, you know, <laughs> to me, it's not even a close call uh, between the two of them. Uh, I think Biden, you know, uh, certainly on the record, as I said earlier, but, uh, you know, he's also someone who uh, has his eye on the future. Neither of the, you know, we talk about the age of the candidates, but we should be talking about. Uh, who's focused on the future and who's consumed by their own past. And Biden has, you know, there, there are many things that he's done, whether it's climate or healthcare, infrastructure, uh, and by and, uh, and under the umbrella of healthcare, pharmaceutical costs, the um, uh, reinvigoration of labor unions. And, you know, there are a whole range of things that he's done that speak to a portrait of the future uh, and someone who's thinking about the future. And, you know, what we get from Trump is just uh, a guy who's consumed by his past and and by vengeance. And so I don't think it's a tough call between them, but it is a war of, I mean, people are assessing uh, the liabilities uh, as much as the strengths here. Yeah. I mean, here's what I think we should all concede, whichever side of the debate we're on, right? It's pretty clear that Biden world didn't expect to be losing right now to the degree that they are. It's a little hard to tell for sure. 
right? So do you get the sense that Biden world admits at least that things aren't going to plan? They, they, off, they offer explanations like voters are checked out, and that's probably true, but they can't be happy with where things are. Is there a private theory of what's happening as opposed to a public one? Well, I don't know, because they haven't exactly been consulting me, Greg, <laughs> since I made my feelings known. But um, what I do see is uh, a little more intensity. Um, I, I wish in the last two or three, I, you know, I look back at the last two or three weeks and I think, you know, her report notwithstanding, Republicans really have had a bad run here, uh, you know, and a lot of it has to do with Trump, you know, walking away from this uh, immigration law that they painstakingly negotiated and that answered their own petitionings for what should be in this funding package, uh, the the way they've uh, stalled Ukraine funding also at Trump's behest uh, at a time that's absolutely critical. And you see, uh, you know, this past weekend, the uh, uh, when you, ju- you know, juxtapose the, the murder of Navalny, the withdrawal of Ukraine because they didn't have enough ammunition, and Trump, uh, you know, pulling the strings on Ukraine, uh, it, failing to address Navalny, and, and heading to a sneaker, uh, con- a sneaker con to sell his new gym shoes. I mean, this was a treasure trove. And I don't know why Democrats weren't just flooding the zone from morning till night, just pounding the hell out of the Republicans, who, by the way, uh, went on vacation rather than House Republicans rather than addressing these urgent needs, including, by the way, the fact that we don't have a budget. But uh, so all of these things are opportunities. I think that you're beginning to see uh, a kind of picking up of the pace. I think they got to pick it up a lot more. Yeah, I think you really raise an important point there. Um, Sometimes it seems like the rest of the party doesn't quite recognize the fight they're up against, whether Biden does or not. Now, your point is well taken that this conversation is mostly over, but there is a scenario where maybe Biden has a health event in the spring. Yes, that's a different thing. Right. And so if that happens, then the convention scenario kicks in, right? Uh, Maybe maybe, it would have to. Yeah. So a bunch of Dems, Gretchen Whitmer, Gavin Newsom signal that they're in, all the delegates then have to choose, intense jockeying ensues. It's a closely watched event, but and with countless people expressing their views on social media, which would of course be very tame and civil, but but they yes, as always, right, yes. but they wouldn't be voting. Uh, so where are you on that scenario? Is it really plausible? It seems highly far fetched. Even if it even if it would have to happen, what do you think? Well, first of all, you, you the one candidate you didn't mention was the vice president, who I think would have an interest in this as well. Um, I, look, I don't even, that would be uncharted waters, okay? I don't even know. We, we have not had a contested convention in, uh, on the Democratic side in uh, 56 years. Uh, the last one was in Chicago as uh, well. It was in 1968, and it didn't go particularly well, but I think there were other reasons for that. Uh, so I don't know what this would look like. We don't have any practice doing this. Uh, but there's an argument that it would uh, it it would enliven interest and uh, would would be en- energizing. Uh, I just again, you know, I don't want to go too far down the road here because I'm not 
expecting that scenario. And um, I certainly I'm not expecting I, I'm not expecting nor God forbid wishing uh, for any scenario like that. And I'm uh, absolutely convinced that Biden uh, has made his decision and that decision is irrevocable. Yeah, I mean, your point is really well taken there. I, I wonder whether all the talk about it, and of course, I'm participating here in that. I wonder whether all the talk about it sort of makes alternatives seem more plausible than they actually are. And that in, in itself is, is, poses its own danger in a sense, doesn't it? Uh, yes. I mean, I look, I, I think that um, this may not be the battle that people wanted with these two candidates, but is, it is the battle. And uh, the consequences of it are going to be pretty profound. Uh, and people need to focus on that. Uh, you know, I, uh, I, I think uh, this is a, it's become a parlor game that uh, can be uh, obtrusive to the, the, the goal of actually um, mounting a winning campaign. But, you know, it would help, honestly, if um, the president himself uh, and, uh, the, you know, those around him uh, acknowledge that this is a concern that people have. Um, I, I don't, you know, it's crazy to think that, well, if you don't talk about it, then people won't think he's old. You know, that's, that's, that's crazy. Uh, and so they have to think about how do you strategize around that? How do you talk about it? What you shouldn't do is probably what he did at that press conference on the Thursday night that her report was released and yell at a reporter who said people are concerned about your age and say, no, that's your opinion. Actually, it wasn't her opinion. That is a if there's one thing that is absolutely clear from every bit of research we've seen, that is an obstacle for him. And they've got to figure out how to navigate. it. Yeah, I mean, Democrats who raise these concerns, though, tend not to talk um constructively a lot of the time, right? I think you said somewhere that you can't unring the bell, that when Biden flubs something, it confirms voter suspicions about something they already believe and that this is very hard to reverse. So, okay, as someone who's been in the heat of these campaigns, is this fixable? Um, what is there? Is there a kind of communication strategy that could allow all the stuff you said about his very good record as president to prevail over those baked in fears? Well, Greg, it, it, you know, um, what, I think the unringing of the bell I, uh, applied to the her report that it, it was out there, and uh, but um, I I think that you have to acknowledge that people have concerns and that you understand those concerns, but that uh, you're dealing with two candidates here who are up in years. And this isn't about their future. This is about our future. And it's about what kind of country we want to have. And uh, we know what Biden's values are. They're reflected in the priorities that he's set and that he's worked on. Uh, and uh, we know what Trump's priorities are, mostly Trump. Uh, but he also is the author of a lot of these policies that I think have energized uh uh, people to uh, go to the polls in the midterm elections, go to the polls in all these special elections, a kind of extremism that's gripped the Republican Party. Uh, and uh, so there's a real choice here. 
And so, but I just think you won't get a hearing unless you at least acknowledge uh, to people that, yeah, I get it. I understand that there's a concern here, Uh, but, you know, this isn't about my future or his, (laughs) you know, it's about yours. And, and, uh, you know, you can look at the priorities that I've set and the things that we've done to get a sense of where I want to go. And and then he can describe the America that he sees. Uh, You know, I call it the Moses strategy. You know, he may not get there with us, uh, but he's trying to build a future uh, that future generations can enjoy. And uh, and I think uh, that is the closest, uh, you know, I always used to say when you're planning a strategy, start from the truth and work from there. this is this is the truest and most genuine response. You're not, you know. I think, yes, I do believe that he's sharper in private than he is in public. I've talked to enough people to believe that, uh, and I don't think you could do the things that he's done uh, without being that. He's just he's he's he has a deficit in front of the cameras that is really hurting him, and uh, so you can't. And every time he goes out there, there is going to be that reaction unless he figures out a way to talk about it honestly. Yeah, and and that's the type of thing he does well. You can envision a a way of doing this that plays to his strengths. When he's the guy talking to the young kid about his own stutter, that's when he's most human, most humanized. And by the way, that is a profound contrast with Trump that I think worked very well in twenty and could work again, couldn't it? I mean, you could really see this playing to his, his strengths in remarkable ways if it were done right. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I look, um, I think that uh, uh, in, in this case, honesty is the best policy. And uh, you're asking people to weigh a lot of factors. His age is one factor. There are other factors here that go to values and vision and uh, identification with people, uh, you know, in which I think he's got huge advantages, but uh, you've got to acknowledge the concern in order to get to the the payoff, I think. Right. He's he's sort of, I think, understood by a lot of voters as someone who really has dealt with the, the, the most difficult things in life, right? And, well, there's no doubt. And so aging is one of those difficult things in life. Yeah. Well, and beyond that, um, you know, uh, I think when, when, you, when you tell a reporter, for example, you know, that's your opinion that people think uh, that uh, I'm too old. When you know that that's not the case, it actually compounds the problem because it makes it look like you're completely out of touch, even with your own situation. I don't, he knows very well that people are concerned about that. And he thinks that somehow he can, if he thinks that he can somehow kind of bogart his way through it and deny the fact, that fact, that's just, that just compounds the problem. So he shouldn't do that. I want to try to end on a bit of a positive note and suggest Mm -hmm. and ask you whether the case for alarm is really quite as strong as it is being uh, presented in some quarters. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think the case for alarm would be as great uh, if Donald Trump weren't the candidate on the other side. And I think that um, that also speaks to Biden's opportunity because this will be a choice. Uh, 
if they if they navigate the 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 age issue honestly and openly and and draw and and then move on to the contrast, it will be a choice. And if they marshal a very strong uh, surrogate army to go after Trump on all of these outrageous behaviors, not just the outrageous things he says. I saw a piece that said, well, uh, you know, the president wants them to go after the things that Trump's says. It's really more than what he says, Greg. It's what he's doing right now. The reason that Ukraine is not being rearmed is because of Donald Trump, okay? Uh, The reason that we don't have more uh, uh, stricter stricter uh, border uh, procedures and a, and a, and a reforming uh, immigration system is because Donald Trump said no. Uh, I mean, it's so it's, yes, he says some things that are just batshit crazy, uh, but he also has done things that are deeply destructive. So it's not just about what he says. And there ought to be an army of people out there uh, really, uh, raising hell about the things that he's doing right now. Yeah. And yeah. I think if that, so, so, uh, but in terms of, uh, if you, if you want to end on a positive note, what I would tell you is this, uh, I wrote a book some years ago called Believer, and it wasn't about any particular candidate. It was about my belief ultimately in the, in American democracy and in the good sense of people and in our ability, uh, to, uh, change the course of history uh, in a positive way. I still believe that. And I think at the end of the day, uh, for that reason, uh, I have faith that this is going to end up in, uh, the right place, but it's, um, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a very, very anxiety producing, uh, eight months. It sounds like, uh, if the age issue is handled properly, you see Biden as the favorite. Yeah. Well, I just think he's the favorite because he's a normal human being and he has values that most of us share. He doesn't think acting like a jackass somehow makes you strong. And he uh, knows how to work with people, including people in the other party to get things done. And there are a whole range of reasons why I think Biden is the favorite uh, here. Uh, Might not have been if there were a different candidate. but this candidate that he's running against is uniquely flawed. And, um, you know, I said before that Trump is, um, whatever you thought of his first term, uh, the second would be like the Delta variant, you know, thousand times more virulent and hard to control. So, uh, you know, I, I think people will get that. But, um, we need the president to speak honestly about the age issue, but we also need the campaign to st- to kind of uh, shift shift into a higher gear here and be um, and be relentless. Uh, uh, and uh, you know, I, I hope we're moving there. You know, it's an interesting irony speaking speaking to the desire for normalcy, the type of thing that you're talking about here. There's a way to do address all these problems and do that at the same time. Yes, I think so. Absolutely. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that um, this will evolve in the way it should. And uh, but um, like I said, uh, because of the stakes, like I never I've never before sort of worried about uh, 
elections the way we worry about them. This one, uh, you know, I, I, I've, I've lived through the election of Republican presidents, Democratic presidents. I might prefer the Democratic candidate, uh, but I didn't go to bed fearful uh, if the Republican candidate won that some cataclysm was going to ensue or that something was going to happen overnight that would be, uh, uh, you know, disastrous. Uh, this is a whole different scale. And um, that makes, uh, that's why people are so uptight. And that's why people are so worried. You know, the stakes are just huge. Certainly true. Well, David Axelrod, thank you so much for coming on with us. We really appreciate it. All right, Greg. Great to be with you. You've been listening to The Daily Blast with me, your host, Greg Sargent. The Daily Blast is a New Republic podcast and is produced by Riley Fessler and the DSR Network. 